be seated. Do so, I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to our passage this morning, which we find in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, we are continuing onward in our series on the church. As we said last Sunday, we can maybe think of a series as being like a church 101. It's a time for us to, to come back to the fundamentals of what's Two plus two, two times two, those sort of things. But to come back to the fundamentals of the church so we can better understand who the church is, who we are, and so we can better be the church for God's glory and joy. And so in doing this, we have used several questions to kind of guide us along, make sure we stay on a a steady path. And the first question we asked is, what is the church? Before we... Before we know anything else about the church, we have to understand what is the church. So we looked at Paul's definition that the church is the body of Christ, of whom Christ is the head. Reminded that we are a part of Christ. We're not some sort of separate entity. We aren't just who we are for the sake of who we are. We are a part of the body of Christ, the glorious Christ of which we are part of a glorious body, which makes us a living organism. We're not just an institution or a club or organization. We are the very body of Christ here on earth. And so that led us into our next question, and that is, how is the church to be fed? And that fit in with our taking of the sacrament. The church is to be fed by the word of God, by scripture. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the church is fed by the word of God, but we also feast upon his visible word in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Because what's the Lord's Supper point us to? Body broken for you. His blood spilt for you. And then last week we asked the question of what church are you a part of? And when you think of the church as a coin, there's two sides to that coin. And one side is the visible church. That's the church we are able to see, the, the church role, the membership us who are here this morning. But there's another side to that coin, and that is the invisible church. That is those who are truly Christians. As we said, that means you could be a member of the church all of your life, but not really be a member of the church because you're not a Christian. So we don't want all of our eternal hope placed upon the fact that we were baptized here and that our name is written on the role of the church here. Our salvation is in Christ. And we want our names written in his book of life, that recording membership role of the invisible church. And so that brings us to our passage this morning. And if you, your Bible has a ribbon or you have a bookmark, let me go ahead and encourage you to place it here because we're going to spend at least the next two weeks in this passage uh, because we learn a lot about the church from our passage here in Acts chapter 2. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll come together before God's word. Lord, we come to you now as your church, as living body, as those who need to feed upon your word so we may respond in faith and be called into the invisible church. Lord, bless the word, the reading and preaching of your word this morning in that way. May it be your truth and only your truth and all for your glory. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll stand together now for the reading of God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. As you heard me say to the children earlier, I was taught to shoot by two gentlemen. One was a, I said, was a graduate at Naval Academy and served in the Marine Corps. The other one served there in Vietnam and had qualified actually to be a Green Beret. And when he was being sent over, they said, you can go over as a Green Beret and have a 25% chance of coming home. Or you can go over and serve in artillery and have a 75% chance of coming home. So he said, well, I want to be artillery. Um, but he had qualified to be a Green Beret. So probably two, no better two men to teach you how to shoot. And so we would go out in the field and they would set up a target for me. And I learned in this old Winchester 30-30. And again, they would say to me over and over again, James, if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. So make sure to aim for the middle. And you will get closer and closer. And so for those of you who, who know how to shoot, you know how true that proverb is. It's not just true for shooting, but it's true for life as well. It's good to have goals. We're not meant to go through life aimlessly and just kind of floating around and you know, going that way. It's good to have goals. We have to aim for something. We have to have a bullseye in our life. But the same is true for the church. Same is true for the church. We have to be aiming at something. So at some point in our better understanding of church, we have to land on the question then of what is the church supposed to do? What is God's mission for the church? What's his purpose for us? What is the bullseye that God has given to us as his church? Now, it's important that we know these other things about the church. It's important that we know what the church is. The body of Christ, how the church is fed, uh, which side of the coin, the two sides of the churches. Those are all important, but right up there, it's just as important for us to understand what the mission is of the church. What in the world are we supposed to be doing? So I want you to think about that for a moment. If you have taken a test and you had to write it out, what would you say is the purpose of the church? What is the mission? What is the bullseye that God has given to every church? What is the bullseye that God has given to us as Bethel ARP to aim for? My guess is that some number of you in answering this would probably end up somewhere along the line of that what God wants is primarily for us to send people out to get more people in so we can then send more people out to get more people in. So we can then send out more to get more in. So on and so forth. That cycle. That the church is meant to be ascending agency. What's our bullseye? 
simply to build up numbers. It's a numbers game. We may not think of it that way, but when we come down to the brass tacks of that philosophy, that's what it is. What can we do to bolster our numbers? What can we do to get more people in the church? And I believe that view, probably in the most part, comes about from Billy Graham and his crusades. Look, I love Billy Graham. As I said before, he was raised in the ARP. He went to Bob Clark and he's one of us. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that Billy Graham has been used mightily by God over the course of his ministry. We said before, many of us, if not all of us, know somebody who's been affected by the Billy Graham ministries, maybe even your own family. They responded in faith to a crusade. His crusades were a platform to share the gospel with untold numbers of people around the world. Because think about how he would go and he would share the gospel. People would respond. And then what, they, what would they do? They would go home and share with others the gospel as well. I don't think we will have a full appreciation of the impact of his ministry until, until we are in heaven and God reveals it to us. I'm convinced that probably uh, they had to add, do an addition to heaven to add in all the people who were brought to salvation through Billy Graham's ministry. And because of the success of that ministry, I believe many Christians started to look at the success of the ministries and the the ministry, and they began to think this is how the church should operate as well. That each week the church should be like a mini Billy Graham crusade. How are we going to get as many people in so then we can send out as many people so we can get more people in? So in that mind and philosophy... It leads to actions. And the actions are the church's primary motive is to be a sending agency. That our primary, primary reason why church exists is to send out as people to bring more people into the church. We think of the church as a sending agency, as a building where it has more, we have more numbers or more arrows kind of going out to try to bring more arrows in. And so when this is how we think of it, this is what we think of as the bullseye for the church, that we're meant to just solely go out and get people, then that leads to different implications, such as how then we determine the overall health of the church. And I want us to think of it this way. When you see a, a big and busy church, what is it you tend to think? You probably think, that's a healthy church. They have to be healthy because they're so big and they're, they're adding in more people and they're having to build on, right? They're big and they're busy. They, they, they must be a healthy church. There must be a good thing going on there and we should be more like them. What can we do to emulate their success so we can grow and be bigger because the bigger we are, then the healthier we are. Which means on the other hand, when we see a smaller church that, ha- that doesn't have as much going on, what do we tend to think? Well, bless their hearts, at least they're trying. Bless their hearts, at, at least they're, they're still having church on Sundays and they're, and they're still trying. But there must be something wrong. He must not be a good preacher. The, the, the choir must be really bad. The, the, there must be something wrong because they're staying small. Therefore, they're not healthy, and we don't want to be like that church. So when we 
think of the church just as a sending agency, then this is the result of what, what, it, what it will look like to us. That the health of a church is predicated by how big and how busy it is. And inevitably, nothing else begins to matter except getting more and more people into the church. That becomes the reason for everything. What can we do? What can we structure? What can we change to get more people in the church? Everything comes from that. Everything is secondary to the numbers. And thinking about this through the lens of Church 101, that sort of view means we look only at the visible church. We just look at the visible church and we judge health and success and vitality by that. If the church is large, then it must be healthy. If the church is small, then it must be unhealthy. It all becomes about the visible church. And our passage this morning takes us back to the beginning of the early church. It's not too long, it may just be a few weeks, if not months, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And the author of Acts, Luke, gives us an insight into what the early church looked like. What was the early church doing? We're seeing the ground floor work for which we have been built upon. And so what do we see? Well, we see at beginning of verse 42 this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the, the first detail that Luke shares with us about the early church emphasizes what? Emphasizes the gathering of the saints for worship. That they would come together to hear the apostles preach, have a time of fellowship with each other, to take communion, and to pray with and for each other. That's what they would do. They would gather. They would gather for, for sermons. They would gather for coffee and donuts. Uh, they would gather for, for the sacrament. They would gather for prayer meetings. They would gather together. It's about Christians coming together as the church to worship. And Luke is very sure to tell us very quickly that they were devoted to it. This wasn't a passing fancy. This wasn't a hobby. This wasn't something that became secondary to other things in their lives. Every week this was marked on their calendar. There was the time it was circled in red. And they were to make sure they were devoted to coming together to hear the apostles preach. Every week they wanted to come and hear what Matthew is going to preach, or Thomas, or, or, or Peter, or, 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 or any of the other apostles. What were they going to preach about? What's the sermon this week? And they look forward to gathering with other Christians and, and, and catching up, of coming together before the table and praying with and for each other. Luke, the author of Acts, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, places the emphasis on the gathering. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to the worship of the church. They were devoted to gathering together for worship. That's the bullseye. What's our bullseye? What's our purpose? What's our mission? Is this. It's a gathering for worship. Our confession explains it this way in the chapter on the church. 
To this universal, visible church, Christ has given the ministry, the oracles, the ordinance of God for the gathering and perfecting of saints in this life to the end of the age. So what is our purpose? Why are we here? It's for the worship of God. That goes right along with our short catechism one, right? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the chief end of church? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We exist for the gathering and perfecting of God's people. That's why we are here. So which means then, that the church is meant to be a gathering agency for us, not a sending agency. The church exists to gather. We are devoted to gathering God's people. And the sending will come later. It's the gathering that leads to the sending. And that might sound like we're trying to, to split hairs there, doesn't it? But take a moment to think about it. And is it splitting hairs? Because the difference between gathering and sending will determine how we view ministry and, and pretty much how we execute every ministry in the church. If we just think of the church in a sending agency sort of way, that that's our primary goal, that God has put us here to be a sending agency, then that means that every ministry in the church will be geared that way. The session met this morning. In an ascending agency philosophy, everything that was discussed would be with the end result of how do we get more people in? Every ministry is judged by that. We're constantly reevaluating, excuse me, reevaluating our ministries. And we're saying, what can we do to get more people to Bethel ARP? In 2022 and 21st century, do we take out the pews and put in comfortable chairs? Do we get rid of the organ and put in a praise band? Do we put the pastor in skinny jeans? No, exactly. Thank you. Amen. Benediction. Let's go home. Right now. Right. But those are the questions we're led to. We're asking, what can we do differently? To make ourselves more attractive to the world around us. Now understand, these aren't bad questions to ask and think through. We need to be thinking about outreach. We need to be thinking about non-believers out there. But those are the only questions. If those are the driving questions, then we become more and more about getting more and more in. Our end goal is about getting more and more people in. And we will inevitably be going along with the culture and the times. We will be constantly changing. We will have no identity. Because our identity will now be caught up within the world. And the world's identity is always changing. Eventually, as we've seen happen time and time again, the church becomes like a ship without an anchor. Without a captain without a rudder and just wanders aimlessly. But if we understand that the church is first and foremost a gathering of God's people, that we exist for the worship of God, then the goal of everything the church will be for God's glory and joy. 
We won't be always looking out at the world trying to figure out how we can please the world, be more pleasing to the world to bring them in. No, everything we, will, everything we do will be held up to the magnifying glass of, is this what God wants? Does this glorify God? Is this pleasing to Him? This is in some ways a paradigm shift from what is popular in the current church. We, we, we call us churches seeker-sensitive. We're not going to say names. There's no reason to, to say names about these churches. But we probably know those seeker-sensitive churches. And it's all about going out and doing whatever they can to get people to come into the church. This may be a little bit of an extreme example, but this has happened. At one of these churches, uh, for Easter morning, the people walked into uh, the, the praise band playing ACDC, Highway to Hell and Hell's Bells. Imagine that. Let's separate the fact if you're an ACDC fan, and those are great songs. Separate from that. Can you imagine on Easter morning coming to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you're throwing up the devil horns and you're headbanging highway to hell and hell's bells? A secret sensitive church made a decision several years ago this is the best way to get people to come to Easter. Their pastor, by the way, wore skinny jeans. Just let you know. But when your philosophy is all about getting the world in, eventually the world will get in. As we see in our passage, as our confession summarizes, the church is meant to be a gathering. To gather before its sins. We're meant to be devoted to gathering so we can be better in sending. Understand this, as a gathering church, we take sending very seriously. We want to take the gospel out to the world. We, we want people to come to church. We want non-believers to come to church and worship with us. But we understand that this is only done well when we follow God's first and main purpose for us. And that's to gather and perfect his people just like we see in our passage. It's a focus on the invisible church first so the visible church may grow rightly. That's what it is. It's a focus on the invisible church first, so the visible church may grow rightly. Because what do we see the early church focusing on here? The gathering together of the invisible church. It's it's very simple. The, The Christians would gather together to hear biblical preaching and teaching. They would have coffee and donuts and catch up over the week and enjoy time with each other. Part of their worship was the taking a sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And at some point along the way, they would have a time of prayer. Right? Worship. They were devoted to worship. And what was the result of that devoted gathering? Verse 43, and all came upon every soul. Where did the all come from? From people looking at the church being the church. From, from people looking at a church doing what the church has been doing now for 2,000 years. It wasn't the church trying to look like first century Jerusalem. It's the church that was gathering 
to worship their God. Nowhere does, does Luke say there was hand-wringing in the early church about how do we get people in. No. They simply worshipped. And they were devoted to gathering for worship. And the amazing thing is, Luke ends this summary by saying that this devotion to gathering, this devotion to worship, brought people to faith. Daily, God was adding to their numbers. Salvation was being proclaimed by the gathering of God's people because that's the purpose of the church. And people responded to that. Now, he's also very sure to tell us that this was done in a particular way. That these elements are the elements that the apostles learned from their experience with Jesus. So what would the worship look like? The preaching and teaching would be about, about Jesus and his work. Leading to their Christian responsibilities as followers. They would have fellowship and they learned that through how Christ had fellowship with them. That they would come together to take the Lord's Supper. That they, they would emulate the prayer life that they saw that Jesus had for them and with them. So this is what is meant by the perfecting and the gathering. Not only we the gather, but the gather for the perfecting. And the perfecting is the worship where we sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word that points us to Jesus Christ. And then points to Jesus Christ, uh, convicting us and enabling us to, to embrace and live in the Christian responsibilities as followers. To enjoy fellowship with one another and fellowship with other Christians to have those deep abiding relationships with each other. Taking the sacraments, praying in his name and according to his will. Every Lord's Day was a chance for them to gather together and to be perfected in their faith. Not that they became perfect, but they were being built up in the faith. Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the bullseye. Gather together to worship God through Christ in his word. So what's our mission? What's our purpose? Is this? To gather, to be perfected, so that from there comes the sending. We think of the Great Commission, that great sending test. Go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, uh, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. When did Jesus give that commission? Matthew 28. You know a chapter comes after Matthew 28? Mark chapter 1. Because Jesus gave this great commission after three years of gathering with his disciples. Three years of bringing his disciples in for worship and building them up in faith. And then he sent them out. They were gathered before they were sent. That is the bullseye. So when we come to passages like this, we have to ask the question, what now? Okay, here's the early church. Here's what we say about it. So what do we as Christians and what do we as Bethel ARP do now from this passage? We'll close with these, with these two things. First, we need to make sure that individually and collectively our thinking is in line with Scripture. Do you see the church as a gathering place? Is this the bullseye 
Is this your devotion? Because if we are Christians and we see this as a gathering agency, then there is devotion to it. Devotion to preaching. Devotion to fellowship. Devotion to the sacraments. Devotion to prayer. Are you, are we, devoted to the gathering? Secondly, from that, we need to make sure that's the goal of everything that's done here at Bethel ARP. All of our ministries, from the littlest of Sunday school, up through the adults, session, diaconate, women's ministries, Bible studies, whatever takes place under the auspice of this ministry, the end goal should be for the glory of God in the gathering and perfecting of his people. The greatest missionaries the church has ever known were raised up in the church. Baptized. Coming forward for children's sermons. Going to Sunday school. Going to youth group if they had it. BBS worship, so on and so forth. When the church sets its goal as a gathering, then the sending will come and God will do amazing things with the church that gathers. In Pentecost, he saved thousands. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, he was adding daily to their numbers. Bless our bullseye, the gathering and perfecting of God's people. My bullseye, yours, and our churches. May we understand that, and may we obey it. Pray with me.